Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Our conversation today will focus on the Chief Investment Office's first edition of Election Watch in the run-up to the 2022 midterm elections, which will be here before we know it. Uh, joining me for the conversation this morning, glad to welcome back to Top of the Morning, Tom McLaughlin, Head of Fixed Income Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. So Tom, it's great to be with you as always. Thank you for dropping by and looking forward to the conversation. Good morning, Dan. It's always a pleasure to be with you. So I'm looking forward to it as well. Thank you, Tom. I will highlight up front to our listeners, our clients. So the Election Watch is now available. It was authored just a couple of weeks ago. So our clients, our listeners can locate the piece up on UBS.com forward slash CIO. Of course, for clients, please reach out to your financial advisor if you would like to receive a copy of the publication directly. Though, uh, Tom, maybe as a good starting point to set the stage, could you provide us with a few key takeaways from the latest Election Watch? Yeah, I'd be happy to do that, Dan. Uh, first of all, uh, law, it's important to keep in mind that losses by the president's party are to be expected in midterm elections. Uh, gains by the president's party, doesn't matter if you're a Republican or a Democrat, in the House of Representatives at the midterm election has only happened on three occasions in the past century. Uh, so it's obviously uh, a difficult feat to uh, achieve. The key variable is just how many House seats are lost by the president's party. Uh, it's to be expected because that could affect whether the party and the majority has enough seats to implement public policy. The key factor really is the job approval rating of the president, and it generally dictates how many seats will be lost in a midterm election. Uh, above 50%, that is a job approval rate above 50%, and the losses tend to be limited. Uh, again, with just a few exceptions, you'll still lose seats, but again, the losses are limited. However, once the president's approval rating drops below 50%, it bodes ill for the incumbent president's party. Uh, the narrow margin now held by Democrats suggests that the likelihood of the GOP taking the House majority is very high. Uh, a second observation is that investors should expect a degree of equity market volatility in the run-up to the election. And, and this is not that unusual, uh, and it's really not necessarily a cause for concern. It's simply a reflection of the uncertainty associated with investors wondering what the shift in political control might mean for their investments. Now, this year, the volatility has arrived uh, earlier than usual, but that's really more due to geopolitical conflict and market expectations regarding a tighter monetary policy for the foreseeable future. Healthcare and financials, um, in terms of sectors, are a bit more exposed than, than other sectors in the equity market, just because they tend to be more susceptible to regulatory risk. As far as the fixed income side of the ledger goes, the U.S. bond market tends to be less susceptible to kind of pre-midterm election volatility. Um, this year, again, is probably a little bit different just because there are these two other important and indeed overriding factors at play, monetary policy tightening by the Fed and the military conflict in Ukraine, both with knock-on impacts on the price of energy and, by extension, global economic growth. I guess the key takeaway here is that volatility is, is uh, very commonplace in, in a midterm election year. It tends to happen later than it's happening this year, and the reasons actually have less to do with the election than with these other factors that are really preoccupying investors this year. Well, Tom, thank you very much for that backdrop. Very helpful. Running with something you mentioned just a moment ago, that being the shift in political control and the implications of that to one's portfolio, does a unified Congress under one party or another make a material difference in market performance? 
No, not really. Uh, the difference in equity market returns when a Democratic president faces a split Congress or a Republican Congress is frankly so small as to be immaterial. Um, but I'm glad you asked the question because it's one that I get a lot, and I'm obliged to remind investors that the answer can be very easily manipulated. For example, if you run the analysis um, in terms of market returns uh, from 1928, you'll get one answer. Uh, if you run it from 1932, you'll get a completely different answer. And of course, the difference there is the onset of the Great Depression. And that kind of a time series change can dictate the answer. And when you have a limited amount of data available to us, it's it's important to remember that you can basically massage the, the data to come up with any answer you want. And of course, we don't do that in the chief investment office, but I've seen it done. And I want to be sure to emphasize to our listeners today that just because a Democrat or a Republican is sitting in the Oval Office and Democrats or Republicans are controlling one house or the other, that itself is probably not going to dictate market returns. There are far bigger issues that are in play, particularly this year, again, with the Fed being as active as they are. Our best advice is to acknowledge the shortcomings of a limited election data set, if you will, and focus on the fundamentals of what policy positions are most in play in any given election, including this one. Well, Tom, thank you for the clarity around and reinforcement of those points. Now, we, of course, have covered Election Watch, these midterm election cycles over the years here on Top of the Morning. From your vantage point, Tom, what would you say is the single biggest difference in this midterm election cycle versus some of the more recent midterm contests, uh, maybe such as 2018? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. You, you mentioned the um, the fact that we've done election watches before. And in fact, I think we're coming up on 10 or 12 years of this particular um, edition. Um, and the presence, I think, of inflation is probably the single biggest variable, which we haven't seen in a material way for more than three decades. Uh, I, I would suggest that it's certainly different than it was in 2018, um, where that particular midterm election was characterized by a lot of uh, agitation among the Democratic Party voters, uh, and they were very motivated uh, in, in the wake of President Trump's election in 2016. By the way, I should emphasize that that was also true, for example, in uh, 2010, when Republican voters were very agitated and very uh, motivated um, after the election of President Obama in 2008. So, again, this is not a partisan issue in terms of whether or not one party is naturally more uh, motivated or not. This actually is just a function we see time and time again uh, during midterm elections where the party that does not control the Oval Office, their adherents tend to basically be very motivated to come to the polls. Now, as far as inflation goes, it was the prevailing policy issue in both the midterm elections of 1974 and 1978. Uh, this, too, is a headwind for Democrats this year because polling suggests that it is suppressing support for the president in terms of his job approval numbers, which initially took a downturn following the chaotic U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan. You know, presidents are never unilaterally responsible for rising the inflation rate, but they tend to be the one who's blamed. Uh, and that, again, is true whether or not you're a Democrat or a Republican. It was certainly true for President Ford um, as a Republican and President Carter as a Democrat. But it comes with the territory of sitting in the Oval Office. In the current environment, a belated reaction function by the Fed to rising inflation, I think, is the principal cause of our current predicament, aggravated 
by rusty, rusty supply chains, <clears throat> pardon me, a spike in the price of energy triggered by the war in Ukraine, multiple rounds of federal fiscal stimulus that added liquidity to a system that was already awash in liquidity from a, a decade-long experiment with QE by the Fed. The timing is problematic for Democrats now because the Fed is now poised to raise rates very quickly, uh, which will have a secondary impact on mortgage rates and will ultimately slow the rate of economic growth in the U.S., all in the midst of the midterm election campaign season, which, again, is a stiff headwind for Democrats' hopes uh, in Congress, and particularly for the House, which tends to basically be more closely correlated with presidential approval ratings. So it sounds like, Tom, a lot of considerations with respect to the economy will be top of mind for voters as they go to the polls in November. Now, it's interesting, as of today, Republicans appear poised to assume control of the House of Representatives. You mentioned in the publication, Tom, the outcome of the Senate is more uncertain. So the report, what's great about Election Watch is it includes a scenario analysis under three different outcomes. But for the sake of argument, if the GOP takes control of both houses of Congress, where exactly does that leave President Biden with respect to productivity for the balance of his term? And what might be the principal policy implications as well? Yeah, as you point out, um, I think the outcome of the Senate is a little bit more unclear uh, than in the House. The probability of the Republicans assuming uh, majority control of the House is very, very high. Um, in the Senate, uh, as our listeners will appreciate, only one third of the Senate is up uh, for election in any given cycle. Uh, and so a lot depends on which seats are being defended uh, in the Senate. And this year, um, the math favors Democrats, uh, in the abstract at least, because uh, Republicans are defending more seats. Uh, there's only, say, four Democratic Senate seats that are going to be highly contested. Um, and there are a couple of open Republican seats. So it, it's difficult to tell, still early, it's difficult to tell whether or not the Republicans will take the Senate as well. But let's just say for the sake of argument, as you pose the question, what would President Biden do if he lost both chambers? Um, I think in that case, he will do what all presidents do when they lose a working majority in Congress. Uh, he'll focus on executive orders and administrative rules to implement policy. Um, he will focus on foreign policy and international trade. These are two areas where presidents enjoy more unilateral discussion. Um, the first, that is foreign policy, is, is found in the Constitution. The second, international trade, was something where Congress was actively involved in prior decades. But over the in the post-war period, uh, Congress has gradually ceded that authority to the president. So I would expect a lot more attention being paid by Biden to those two areas. I think defense spending will rise more rapidly than it otherwise would. Um, the agriculture bill, uh, which tends to be renegotiated every five years, uh, will come up for discussion next year. It's going to entail uh, contentious negotiations, uh, including an expected fight on supplemental nutrition assistance. And I think the, the, the big one, the last one that's worth considering is the debt ceiling debate. I know it, it feels like we just got done with that debt ceiling debate some months ago, but it comes up for a discussion every two years. Uh, the next debate is scheduled for 2023. And it's going to be the source then. It isn't yet, but it's going to be the source then of some market anxiety. A Republican House, for example, may well demand cuts to social expenditures to raise the debt limit uh, for expenses that we've already incurred. Um, so I would expect uh, that to take an awful lot of time to negotiate uh, ne in the next calendar year as well. 
Well, thank you, Tom. And of course, to encourage our listeners, our clients to read further into the scenario and analysis of those three potential outcomes. So as we begin, Tom, to close out our conversation for today, you did mention the word volatility a bit earlier in the conversation. Of course, the markets have been quite volatile since the beginning of the year. But you think about politics. How might politics affect the market during this upcoming campaign season, Tom? Well, I think the the, um, the standout issue, again, this won't come as much of a surprise to our listeners today, um, but it's going to be inflation. It's going to be the centerpiece of the fall campaigns. Republicans are going to blame the president. Democrats will blame the Fed. Uh, it will be a recurring theme uh, throughout the year. It may very well be that we've seen peak inflation already um, over the course of the last six or eight weeks. Uh, and we do expect it to begin to gradually decline, but not by enough to really uh, distort the likely campaign strategies of both parties. Uh, Democrats will turn their attention to holding the Senate, I think, where their odds are better uh, due to uh, the class of senators, again, up for re-election. Um, it'll still be tough to hold, but it's, it's conceivable. Uh, the GOP is simply defending more seats than Democrats. I think the debate over uh, the transition to renewable fuels uh, versus the necessity perhaps to extract more natural gas in the U.S. here uh, to support our European allies in the delivery of liquefied natural gas there uh, will occupy an awful lot of bandwidth as well. Um, so you can expect the uh, the energy markets to get a lot of attention during the campaign. Uh, and, of course, immigration and regulation of the tech industry, uh, two areas that often get a lot of extended debate, uh, but probably little progress. Uh, midterm campaigns tend to favor the loyal opposition in Congress. Uh, that is the party not holding the Oval Office. And I think this year is going to be no different. I would expect a fair amount of extended debate on those those issues. Inflation, immigration, and regulation of technology and energy, I think, will occupy a lot of time. Well, Tom, as mentioned, November will be here before we know it. So looking forward to keeping in touch and tracking developments as we lead up to Election Day in just a few months' time. Though, Tom, thank you again for dropping by top of the morning for sharing the insights that you did, highlighting the publication and looking forward to follow-up conversations in the months to come. Sounds great. It was a pleasure as always, Dan. Thank you, Tom. Today we've been joined by Tom McLaughlin, head of Fixed Income Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. As a reminder to our clients and our listeners, the UBS Chief Investment Office does author a variety of publications and blogs that touch on timely market developments, asset classes, and portfolio allocation. These resources can all be located on UBS.com forward slash CIO, including the publication which Tom McLaughlin has been making reference to this morning, Election Watch 2022 U.S. Midterm Elections. So for clients of UBS, please be sure to contact your financial advisor if you would like to learn more about today's topics or if you would like to receive a copy of Election Watch directly. Top of the Morning is part of the UBS Market Moves podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Pandora. Visit UBS.com forward slash studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as the new UBS trending video series. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. 
As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.